Thank you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have together to look at your word. Thank you that it's living and active. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit dwelling in each of us. And we ask, Lord, that you'll help us now by your spirit to show us what you're saying to us this morning and for us to respond rightly to it. Your praise and for your glory. Amen. Have you ever had this said to you, or have you ever said it? Uh, enough. I've had enough. You put your voice on, uh, and you say it with authority. Enough. I was uh, in Benjamin Hargreaves' school last week, uh, doing some end of uh, half term uh, discos, uh, and some of the boys uh, in the top class thought it'd be a good idea to charge around the hall, chasing each other, playing TIG or whatever they were doing. Uh, and it was brilliant for me just to be sat there in the corner in front of my DJ stuff, watching the head teachers stop, chase them around and then stop them uh, and give them the finger and say, I've had enough. Stop it now. Uh, th there are times where uh, we've said that or we've been on the receiving end uh, of that where we're told enough is enough. And that's what we have this morning in our passage from Genesis. We have God um, saying, enough. I've had enough. And we'll see uh, what he does uh, about it. Uh, so far we've seen in Genesis, uh, the Lord God creating all things. Out of nothing he spoke uh, and things came to be. Uh, and he declared everything uh, very good. Then we zoomed in and looked at the pinnacle of God's creation as he created uh, the first man and the first woman made in his image. And we've seen how God's people were in God's place, in God's presence, and the blessing that came uh, from that. And my notes have just disappeared. Which is not good. Uh, and so we have this uh, picture of this union of the man and the woman of Adam and Eve, this picture of marriage uh, as they become uh, one flesh. They enjoy this uh, perfect relationship uh, between each other. They enjoy this perfect relationship between themselves and their creator God. And they enjoy this perfect relationship between uh, themselves uh, and the creation, their environment. Uh, and we saw uh, that in that marriage, it was characterized by harmony uh, and intimacy. They were without shame. Um, but very quickly, the beauty of creation was uh, tarnished and spoiled by uh, the sin and rebellion uh, of the man and the woman against God. There's judgment, and we looked at the uh, three judgments. Uh, but we also saw the grace and mercy of God. Even as uh, people, his creation ha had rebelled against him, we still see that mercy and grace at work uh, from God. And so we've had this pattern in chapter 3 uh, of sin, of rebellion, of judgment, uh, but we also see God's mercy. And then we saw it again last week with Cain and Abel, 
uh, where we saw sin, the rebellion, where Cain uh, rebelled against God and killed his brother Abel, where we saw God's judgment, he would be a wanderer uh, from that moment on. But we also saw God's mercy and grace as he put a mark on his head uh, that nobody would kill Cain. But that is a, a common pattern that we see, and we see it again this morning, that pattern of rebellion and sin, of judgment and God's mercy and grace. But we get a break in chapter 5 uh, from that pattern as, it, as, as that chapter follows the line uh, of Adam and Seth all the way through, uh, apart from Enoch who wal walked faithfully. I thought that was uh, really interesting. That stood out to me as I read that. Uh, again, he walked faithfully with God. Um, so we've, that chapter takes us through that line uh, of Seth. Um, who is that godly line uh, that we thought about last week uh, where we looked at Cain's line? Um, yes, they were very productive in what they did, but they got to the point where uh, Lamech was boastful about his own sin, about murdering uh, somebody. Uh, whereas we get the impression that Abel is that godly line where this promise of the serpent crusher that was promised in chapter 3 verse 15 would uh, come. And so as we follow that line, um, we get to uh, Noah, which we'll begin to look at in a few weeks. But, but verse 1, chapter 6, when human beings began to increase in number uh, on the earth. So that um, what man and woman was meant to do was to be fruitful and increase in number. We see that happening. Um, and we're at the point where they'd increased in number on the earth. Uh, and we're back to that pattern of rebellion and sin, of judgment and mercy. And that's what we'll see uh, this morning. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. So we read that and think, well, what, what's the problem? Where is this pattern then of sin, judgment, uh, uh, and mercy. What, what is that first part of this pattern? What is the sin uh, that is going on? Well, I don't know if you noticed it as it was being read, but it takes us back to the garden. Um, you'll remember that Eve uh, saw that the fruit of the tree was good or beautiful. Um, and then she took it and ate it. And that's what we see here with uh, the sons of God, uh, they saw that the daughters uh, of humans were good, were beautiful. Uh, and so they took, they married um, the daughters of humans. And so I think we're to make that connection with the garden and the sin there uh, because of that repeated uh, illusion of seeing that it was beautiful uh, and then taking, ma marrying and so that seems to be uh, the sin in this uh, chapter. The rebellion there is that these um, sons of God married these daughters of humans. So, so what is the problem with that? Well, what is the sin? Well, we need to define who these groups of people are. Uh, and so, uh, first of all, the sons uh, of God... Uh, and much has been written about this 
Uh, and you can, you can decide for yourself where you land, and I'll tell you where I land with it. Um, but one of those opinions of who the sons of God are uh, is angels, that they're angels. Uh, and so these angelic beings uh, left the, the realm that they were appointed to be in and came to the earth and married uh, the daughters uh, of mankind. Uh, and so we get this contrast between these heavenly sons of God uh, and these earthly daughters uh, of humans. Uh, and, and this opinion goes on to say that um, this unnatural union then produced uh, these Nephilim of verse 4, these giants. And it is a historic opinion, this this view has been around since um, uh, the second century BC. So it's a long standing, that it was a common belief of the, the Jews. Um, the drawback to this opinion is that uh, angels haven't been mentioned yet in Genesis. So we're, we're sort of speaking out of the silence in, in that sense of uh, who uh, they are. But also, as we get through this chapter, we see that the judgment goes against um, that view. The second view is that the sons of God are human judges or rulers. Uh, and so these uh, monarchs that were believed to be deities uh, or divine sons, uh, and they ruled on behalf of the gods. They came and acquired these daughters of humans by coercion. Um, yet, there is no sense of that in these verses. They married. There's no sense of being forced uh, into that. Uh, and the third view is that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth. The descendants of Seth being uh, that godly line that the writer of Genesis seems to be uh, pointing us to. Uh, and to me, this third view seems to make the most sense. So we've seen in chapters 4 and 5 this contrast between those two uh, lines and descendants of Cain uh, and Abel from Adam. Uh, and so it seems to be that these godly men that uh, Genesis 6 speaks about, these sons of God, uh, are from the godly line of Seth, while the daughters of humans are, uh, are any woman outside of that line. Um, that's the one I lean to, but you can take your choice and go with whichever one you uh, feel makes more sense. Uh, but it certainly seems to me uh, that the sin being committed is that of uh, marrying outside uh, of that godly line of that group of uh, people which then results in further moral decline in the world. And so, as we go through the Old Testament, Israel are not to marry outside uh, of the people of God. In the New Testament, the believer is not to marry outside uh, of the group of believers, not to marry unbelievers. Uh, and so it seems that this mixing of marriage is the sin uh, that uh, the writer is uh, pointing out. 
And so God makes his judgment in verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. And so, as I've said, the reason I lean towards uh, the sons of God being uh, humans, being of the, the godly line of Seth, uh, is that God's judgment is towards them. They commit the sin, uh, and they now face the judgment uh, of God. Uh, this is where the Lord says, uh, enough, I've had enough. God's judgment will come uh, upon mankind. But again, we see the mercy of God. Their days will be 120 years. Some say that that means that no person, no human being will live beyond the age of 120 years. Yet, uh, after the flood, we see Abraham, 175 years uh, and we see Isaac, 180 years. So it, it can't mean that a person will only live to 125, uh, 120 years. Uh, what I think it means is that God will hold back his judgment uh, for 120 years uh, and showing that mercy uh, towards uh, mankind. But there is always consequence uh, to sin. But as we saw last week, there is always mercy and grace. Where sin abounds, so too does grace. And then verse 4, the Nephilim, uh, who are they? Well, I don't know. Um, they're a group of people. They're giants. Um, and, I, and I think the point is, this is a reference point for those reading Genesis, those original readers. At the time of the Nephilim, and that would have meant something to them, this uh, was happening uh, in the world. And so we've got that repeated pattern of sin, rebellion, uh, of judgment and mercy. Uh, and then uh, we move on to verse 5 and see it again. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of, hu of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Uh, and so, notice this time, it's the Lord who sees, who saw, uh, and he saw the great wickedness uh, of his creation. You could, you could look at the human race and say that we've evolved and improved massively over the years. Just look at the technological advances that we've made. Um, the color TV, the mobile phone, um, the uh, robotic arms that can perform surgery uh, on people. Uh, we've made some incredible steps forward, some amazing advancements. Uh, yet, as we saw in Genesis 4, there is one thing that we haven't improved or advanced in. Uh, and that is um, sin. We've not moved on from sin and the consequences uh, of it. We have uh, morally deteriorated and we continue on that downward uh, spiral. 
And then notice what God saw. He, he sees the extent of sin. Every inclination, only evil all the time. Every area of life has been tainted with that inheritance um, that we saw with Seth. And that we all have that inheritance of uh, a fallen sinful nature. And so we read in uh, chapter 5 verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. In the likeness uh, of Adam, that uh, sinfulness that was now part of the human race uh, was inherited and passed on, that bias towards sin. Every thought, every inclination, every action uh, is sinful. One writer says, it is not that we are as bad as we could be in every area of life, but that we are not as good as we should be in any area of life. Sin is like a disease uh, that invades every part and every area of our lives. And what's the root cause of it? The heart, the deepest, uh, innermost part of our very being, the heart uh, is the problem. And isn't that what Jesus says uh, in the Gospels? He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And as God looks and he sees the, the great wickedness on the earth, he's filled with sorrow at what his creation has become. He's grieved in his heart. He's not uh, grieved and regretful that, he, that he's made a mistake in uh, creating uh, mankind. He's grieved over the sin that he sees in his creation. One commentator wrote, the making of man is no error. It is what man has made of himself. The heart of man is evil and the heart of God is pained as he sees the great wickedness of his creation. And judgment of sin will come. We read in verse 7. Um, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. The Lord God will bring judgment. He will wipe uh, from the face of the earth the human race that he has created. But this is not a reset. So that event that he's talking about is Noah and the flood, uh, which we'll come on to in a few weeks. Uh, but that's not um, a reset. Because uh, after the flood, we see the same problem. We, we see uh, sin is still there. Because it's the heart that needs to change. And we can't do that ourselves. 
But the Lord will judge sin. There is consequence uh, to our sin. Uh, and there are so many people that say God's judgment is unfair. It's not fair uh, for God to judge uh, people. And so we avoid the subject. We don't like to talk about uh, God's judgment. Uh, but I think when people feel like that, that God's judgment is not fair, um, that it makes us uncomfortable, I think that's because we uh, either don't see the gravity of sin or we don't see the holiness of God. So when Isaiah sees God in that vision, what does he say? Holy, holy, holy. What does he say about himself? Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. When we see the holiness of God, we should see the sinfulness of ourselves. And because God is holy, sin is serious, as we thought about last week. And our holy God, being right and just, must deal with sin. But I think also deep down we believe in justice and judgment. We want justice when a crime has been committed. Well, when somebody is murdered, we want justice for that. Yeah, I think the difficulty is uh, that we don't want to accept that we ourselves deserve God's judge judgment uh, because of our sin. But we know that we have all sinned against God. But we see the Lord uh, here. He saw. Uh, and so he's not blindly bringing judgment. He's, he sees with his own eyes. His judgment is based on, on evidence. And so we, we can hide our sin from other people. We can try and fool ourselves. But the Lord sees And so his judgment as a holy God is just and good and right. But again, we then see uh, the mercy of God. The last verse of our reading. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord would uh, preserve Noah and his family. There is a hope. There is mercy. And so we have that repeated pattern again of sin and rebellion, of judgment, and of God's mercy. But for now, what are we to do? We will all face and we all deserve God's judgment. We read in Hebrews, just as people are destined to die once and after that uh, to face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due, uh, due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. These past four weeks, uh, we've had small groups together. And we've been thinking about sharing our faith. And we thought the first week about motivations uh, for sharing our faith. And this is one of the motivations. 
that we're all destined to die. All people are destined to die and then to face judgment. And so that should motivate us then as people who know the forgiveness uh, that comes in Jesus, who know that Jesus uh, stood in our place as he died on that cross taking our judgment and our punishment upon himself. That should motivate us then to go and share the good news with those who haven't yet accepted it. We're praying at the moment as we join with Christians across the world in thy kingdom come for five people to come to faith. We do it because we don't want people to stand by themselves before the throne of judgment. Because if that is the case, if we stand by ourselves, then we'll take the judgment for our sin ourselves. But if we believe and trust in Jesus, if we uh, repent and trust in him, then we don't stand by ourselves. Jesus stands with us uh, and says, uh, he is mine. I have paid uh, the price. And so we want others uh, to stand with Christ, to turn to him, to trust in him, to find uh, salvation in him. And so we try to persuade them. We take the good news out. We share it uh, with them. And we pray to God that he would open their eyes and their hearts and their ears uh, to Jesus. And so as we're reminded again uh, of this pattern of uh, sin and rebellion, of judgment and mercy. Let's go boldly uh, into our uh, communities, into our workplaces, into our social uh, uh, clubs and wherever it is. And let's be light uh, in those areas. Let's be uh, courageous in sharing Jesus with them. Because all will face judgment. And what we uh, desire more than anything is for people uh, to put their faith in Jesus who bared uh, the weight of our sin upon the cross so that we uh, don't have to. So let's go boldly and let's be uh, devoted in prayer, praying for those people uh, to turn to him. Let's pray.